it took me a long time, 10 years of a lot of battles, a lot of internal battles, as well as external battles, overcoming uh, the opposition against my education from my ex-husband and his family, overcoming my own inner beliefs about how much I can achieve. Hello and welcome to Say Hi to the Future, a podcast aimed at highlighting the human side of ingenuity, clever, inventive, and original thinking. My name is Ken Tenser, CEO of SpiderWorks, a leading business consultancy for mid-market organizations and entrepreneurs globally. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. With me today is Samer Zafar, keynote speaker, belonging and wellness expert, and best-selling author of A Good Wife. She has been recognized among the top 100 most powerful women in Canada, top 25 inspirational women in Canada, and top 25 Canadian immigrants. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, Samer Zafar, welcome to Say Hi to the Future. Thank you so much. Very, very excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So Samer, I, I want to start by reading something that you wrote and posted not too long ago, actually. So 10 years ago, when I rocked across the stage at Convocation Hall to get my degree at the University of Toronto, after many years of struggle and opposition against my education, I never imagined that one day I'd be delivering the Convocation Address on that same stage. Education and this university has been the gateway for freedom and respect for myself and my two daughters. I mean, there is so much tied up, so much emotion and passion. Can we can we talk a little bit about firstly the years of struggle and opposition, just so that the listeners and viewers get a you know sort of a sense of what you've been through? Yeah, thanks for asking that, and thank you for bringing up that post. It it really was a very meaningful day uh, for me. And um, you know, when I when I came to Canada, uh, I was a child bride in a forced marriage uh, as a teenager, having no clue about this country, uh, what options are available to me, what my rights are, and I was thrust into this marriage to an absolute stranger who was older than me. So I didn't really have a lot of autonomy, if any, and I was feeling really lost and scared. But there was this little bit of hope. I'm an eternal optimist. So there was this little bit of hope that maybe this is the land where I can fulfill my dreams and goals. And then those hopes and dreams were cut short because uh, I was in this marriage and I was told that that's my real job as a woman is to be someone's wife, someone's mother, someone's daughter-in-law, et cetera, et cetera. So it took me a long time, 10 years of a lot of battles, a lot of internal battles as well as external battles, overcoming uh, the opposition against my education from my ex-husband and his family, overcoming my own inner beliefs about how much I can achieve and what my boundaries are and what are the boxes I'm supposed to fit in and what are the boxes I'm supposed to break. So all of those things took a long time until I was able to finally start university uh, and it, and, that it, and then graduate. So graduation was such a meaningful day for me and then just exactly 10 years later because i graduated in june 2013 after all these years of struggle and then eventually leaving my marriage and and uh going through all the aftermath of that and finally getting my degree which was such an emotional moment for me and that same day when i went home 
I had shared my story that same day and and my social media was flooded with messages from people all over the world thanking me and uh, congratulating me for breaking the silence. So it was such an, uh, I'll never forget that day, June, t- June 10th of 2013. And then just, you know, 10 years later uh, on June 8th, 2023, I was now a speaker at that same stage. Mm-hmm. So it was like life coming full circle uh, in such a beautiful and profound way. Well, one, thank you for sharing that. And two, the second part of what you wrote, education and this university has been the gateway for freedom and respect. That, that is, that is, it's profound. It's insightful. What was, edu- why was education that, that beacon for you? You know, it, I get asked that question quite a bit, especially from women who are in the same situation, um, because People say like, well, I I don't have the kind of educational aptitude that you did, so I don't think I can do what you did. And I often say like, everyone has a strength. Everyone has something uh, that you can latch onto. And when you focus on that strength and use that as almost like, um, you know, like your rope to climb out of a well, and that's what I did. I always knew from a very young age that I'm very, very academically inclined, um, even growing up. Uh, I was I was that annoying student who would get upset about the two percent that I did not get on an exam, and instead of being happy about the 98 percent that I did, so so I, I've I've always been very academically inclined. Uh, each exam, each uh, assignment was like a milestone for me. I had to do my best. So when um, I was stuck in that marriage and I didn't see any way out, uh, education was my beacon of hope. And I knew that if I had my degree, if I had my education, if I could get a job, if I could put food on the table for my children, if I could have some kind of autonomy and financial stability and and agency, then maybe there is a way I can move forward. Um, So I used that. And uh, when I was told I can't go to high school uh, because I came here without a high school diploma, uh, I found the Independent Learning Center and did all my high school courses online. And then I was told I can't go to university because there's no money. So I knew that, okay, now I have to make money on my own. So I can't go out and get a job. That's not allowed. So I started to work as a babysitter at home and it eventually saved money that way. So whatever I did at that time was with that focus that I want to get my education. I wasn't thinking about leaving the marriage yet. I mean, it was always in the back of my head, but I wasn't like I wasn't designing an escape, so to speak. I was more like, I need to get my degree because that way I will have an equal standing in this marriage. I will be able to at least, you know, have a career, bring in some money, have some leverage, be an equal and not be completely dependent. And that also education gave me confidence uh, to be able to stand up for myself and to call out the abuse that I was subjected to. And uh, which then, you know, counterintuitively, actually became the reason uh, for them to exacerbate the abuse, but it also then became the impetus for me to be able to leave. You know, as you tell that, and look, the, the story is very, very different, but one of the messages that I've always given to my kids, boys and girls, is that th- the only thing that I can give to you as a child that can't be taken away is your education. Mm-hmm. You can go through money, you can go there, you can go through whatever, but if you learn how to learn and learn how to think and learn to be independent that way, you have an opportunity and what, what you do with it, I can't tell you or guide you, but at least you'll have that footing. So 
I just share that because again, the, the story backgrounds are wildly different, but the notion of education as the gateway. Absolutely are true. I say the same thing to my kids. I have two daughters and they are both very different than me. They are not as, you know, pure academic sort of inclined as I was. They're very creative. Like I can't do what they do. I can't draw circles to save my life. Uh, they can uh, they can make elaborate art. Uh, so I always tell them, focus on your strengths, but make sure you never compromise your education. So no matter what you do it in, that's, that is your choice. What you do with it is your choice, but always have your education because that's not, that's something no one can ever take away from you. You will have that. You will, you will, it will never uh, be taken away. It'll never be snatched. You can come back to it at some point if you want. Like I did my first two degrees in economics and did very well and had a career and established career, which I left and then went back to medicine. But that degree that I did 10 years ago in economics, the fact that I had a strong enough GPA and a strong enough degree from a strong enough university helped me get into medical school. So, you know, I, I leveraged it 10 years later for something else. Uh, so that is something no one can take away and it is yours and it will only open doors for you. So never compromise on that. Everything else will fall into place. Samra, I, I don't want to skip over or glance over what you just said because it's quite unique. You've moved on from two degrees in economics and now you're in medical school. That's <laughs> a different path. I can't or I'm crazy or I'm a bit of both. Whatever, <laughs> you know, science is this, that, the other thing, but never thought of an economist going into medicine. So what, what moved you to that? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, you know, it was it was it wasn't one particular thing it was a series of things that had been happening over the past several years maybe even the course of my life really but um i think a few things that really pushed me in that direction was i was not very fulfilled in my corporate career i was happy i was feeling uh that i was doing good work i was i found my silver linings i had good colleagues i had good leaders but I, I, I'm very impact driven as a person. And I was always looking for ways to give back and to pay forward. And I think given the fact that I've been through trauma and I've been on the other end of uh, receiving from a lot of people's uh, kindness and, and healing and generosity, I think that sort of gave me always this fire in my belly that I want to do, do something that's uh, helping people uh, in, in a very profound sense, and especially lifting people, lifting people who have been marginalized, lifting people who've traditionally been uh, subdued or lost their voices, etc. So when I started to share my story uh, and I saw the difference that it made in people's lives, and then over time as that career grew and I became a public speaker and an author, and I was like, wow, like uh, by offering human connection, by breaking the silence on something, I'm actually making such an incredible difference on people's lives. And at the same time, my daughter was going through mental, some mental health challenges because of the abuse that I was subjected to at a young age, but they were exposed to. So I was, uh, both my kids were exposed to all of that. So I started to think, well, I've left the marriage. So why is this happening now? And I started to read books about how trauma and uh, abuse and sexism and misogyny and patriarchy and all these sort of systems that society has created to subjugate people of certain groups, uh, how they affect our mental development. 
And as I learned that through just reading on my own, and I wanted to talk to my doctor more intelligently or my children's doctors more intelligently, I grew such an interest in the field. And I'm like, this is fascinating. It gave me a lot of answers for what I needed to know about my life and why I sometimes make decisions the way I do or become hypervigilant about something or focus on always like the bad stuff sometimes and trying to mitigate those risks instead of enjoying all the good in my life today. And and so I'm like, oh, that is why this is happening. This is the biology going on in my brain. This is what the neuroscience says. So it was super, super fascinating. And I decided that okay, if I'm, if I'm going to change a career, which I've wanted to do for a long time, I just didn't know what I would do. So now I'm like, okay, it has to be mental health. Now, what does that look like? So I, I explored psychology for a while, I explored social work for a bit, but I'm the kind of person you may have guessed by now, if you're going to do something, go all the way. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I thought to myself, well, you know, somebody had it, way back some uh, some time ago like somebody had told me about McMaster being open for students who have non-traditional backgrounds and don't necessarily need the science degrees and all so I said okay well maybe I can give this a shot and here we are so I'm finishing med school and uh and starting next year uh my residency in psychiatry uh hopefully all goes well that that, that is an incredible story and I love um you know, we, you talk about your kids, you talk about, you know, what we go through in our lives, we sometimes don't fully understand the impact on others, especially our children. And um, in my last book, and, and and I'm doing my doctorate in human ingenuity or, or how we think, I, I wrote, you know, it's you've got to unpack your bags and, and stay a while. And until you unpack them, and I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, but until you unpack them and deal with what you've what that luggage has been it's very hard as an individual or as a leader to truly go forward and i think we forget how that impacts the people around us sometimes absolutely and i think it's also really important to realize that we don't move on from stuff that has happened to us we move on with it mm-hmm. it never goes away there are parts of our life there's a lot of lot of bad things that have happened to me but I will never move on from them. I will move on with them. So, but knowing that, yes, that is why this is my thought pattern. So recognition is number one. And then recognize this is what I can do to change it. This is what I can do to take different actions so that I'm not constantly uh, trapped by the past, as painful as it was. And how, despite the fact that I've had difficult circumstances, I can live a very happy, joyous, fulfilling, loving life. And I have a lot to offer to others as well. So I think what people sometimes tend to think is unless and until you forgive and forget everything, you can't move on. And I and I think that's sort of what I'm trying to change through my work is that you never forget. It doesn't go away. You don't just you know, it's not like you're cutting an arm off and it's done. You still know that your arm is cut off. You still have to live with just one arm, right? So you have to then make changes in your life and in your way of thinking and adapt. And, and that is where our power lies as human beings. We have this beautiful gift given to us of adaptability, of neuroplasticity, where we can grow new pathways in our brains, where we can 
grow new ways of doing things, learn new ways of doing things. So when I hear people say, oh, I grew up with these beliefs, I'm like, okay, but that doesn't mean you should ha- carry those beliefs now. You're capable of critical thinking. You're capable of growing as a person. You're capable of learning. So it's really important to understand where our power lies. What people tend to sometimes focus on is I can't change this, so I can't do anything about it. Like you can, you may not be able to change the circumstances, but you can change your response to it. And that's where all the power is. Well, and as you tell that, I mean, you have done so much to take it with you, but take it with you for for good or help of others. And you wrote an incredibly inspiring memoir called The Good Wife, which talks about your story and talks to uh, survivors of domestic violence. But you've taken, it was incredibly well-recognized Washington Post, you know, dozens of reviews that I've been able to flip through. But you've taken that and, and not just focused on yourself, but through brave beginnings, you are helping other women to rise up to to overcome, to learn how to take things with them rather than have them hold them back, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you so much for, by the way, uh, uh, all the kind words about the book and and the reviews. And with Brave Beginnings, it started actually even before I thought about the book, because uh, when I had started to share my story back in 2013, I had no clue. Like if somebody had told me then one day you'll be a best-selling author and you'll be like writing your second book and you'll be doing all this speaking and everything, I'd be like, what? Like how many heads do you have? <laughs> and so, but uh, when I started to share my story, I would get approached over social media by women in the community who would be like, can I just talk to you for five minutes? Uh, can I, can you offer me a little bit of your encouragement? And, and I've, I had been on the other side where I was one of those women who, uh, in my case, a lot of my, I would say, there were a lot of dark moments. There was a lot of self-doubt. There were a lot of times when I thought I couldn't move on. And it was that kindness from random people, from professors, friends, etc., who showed up in my otherwise dark time and helped me see the light and move forward. So. In, in this case, I wanted to pay it forward. So when I started getting approached by women in the community, I'm like, yeah, I wanna, I wanna do something. So I would have coffees, I would have chats, I would uh, start mentoring them. And I saw the difference that the human connection made. So a few of them were able to go on back to school or start new businesses or, uh, you know, just flourish in their personal lives. Uh, one woman started dating again. One uh, one person started to uh, build a new social support system, and it was all about that reintegration back into into society. Because you know, when you're when you're leading abuse, it's not just you left that person behind and you move on. No, you there's all kinds of aftermath. Your confidence is struggling. You know, you you don't have enough belief in yourself. You you sometimes lack social support even from your own family. Uh, in a lot of cultures, you know, I you like I have to go against my entire family when I left my marriage, and a lot of them inflicted a lot of shame and stigma upon me. So I had lost all of that. I had to build an entire new community from scratch. So when all that stuff happens, what is the number one reason why prisoners reoffend or women go back into abusive situations or uh, you know people go back into things that they know are not good for them? It's isolation. It's loneliness. It's lack of connection. 
we are wired for connection as human beings. The need for connection lives in our survival center of our brain, in our brainstem. It's, it's the most ancient part of us. So it is hardwired into us. But when we don't get that connection, we feel like, oh my God, how am I going to survive? Like, am I going to be all alone? And that is such a huge driver, such a powerful driver. So we oftentimes accept things that are not good for us just to be able to survive so that we wouldn't be alone, right? So a lot of times I would see this happen. I saw it happen in my life where I went back to my marriage a few times because I was afraid I wouldn't be left alone and I would have no one in my life. And then I saw that with other women and I started to mentor them and support them. And I saw the difference that it made. And I'm like, what about if there were, if there was a network, a network of other women who are also passionate about helping other women and giving back and putting on a little bit of their time and energy, not money, but just time and emotional energy into helping someone. And that's when I um, thought of creating this organization. And uh, it is a mentoring program uh, for women who've escaped uh, any kind of domestic abuse. And we pair them with mentors who are, and mentors are women who are professionals who want to give back. It takes about a couple hours a month. It's not a big time commitment, uh, but it can mean the world to somebody else. And um, and we're very, very proud of it. And uh, uh, we just, uh, very beginning, just recently got approved for uh, charitable status by CRA. So we can now expand and, uh, and fundraising, yeah. And very soon it will have um, a psychiatrist at the home. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's <Right>. wonderful. <laughs> No, it's a wonderful give back, and I see it very natural coming together and what you're doing. It's it's just it's it's incredible. It's sort of speechless in the sense of how you've overcome and what you've done. And you know, as our time comes to to a close today on say hi to the future, one of the questions you know we talk a lot about resilience. It's say hi to the future. Our, our next event is actually in Mississauga, and it's called a path to resilience, and it's about personal leader and, and community resilience. But with that to me is what you're talking about. And I don't know that you can teach resilience, but I'm wondering if you think if we that we can cultivate it in some way, make people more open to, to overcoming. I love that question. That was what I, uh, uh, every time I talk about resilience and people ask me uh, this question that, what was it in you uh, that, that made you go through all of this and come out on, you know, like in 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 a way that's healthy. And I often the answer is there's no secret ingredient that I am born with that others aren't, or some people are born with that others aren't. It is a muscle. It is literally a muscle that you cultivate and you strengthen and you build. And resilience is collective. It's not an individual thing. It's much more about Remember when I talked about connection and how being connected, human connection makes us feel more resilient, that we can take risks because there are people who will catch us if we fall. You know, we have a safety net. But when you're all alone, you have to give that connection to yourself. You have to connect with your heart, with your inner world. So even when there was no hope of me ever being able to go to school in those early years of marriage, I would still stand in front of a mirror and practice my graduation speech. And that's how I kept my own hope alive because I connected 
with my heart and my dream and my vision. And I knew that if I don't believe in my dreams, no one else will. So yes, you need a support system. You need a cheerleader. You need multiple. But at the first step of it, you you need to be your own cheerleader. You need to believe in your dreams. And when people, there are going to be a lot of naysayers around us. When people say to us that, oh, you can't do this, they're not showing us our limits. They're showing us their limits. It's because they don't think they can do it. So they don't think anyone else can either. So if something makes sense to you, I mean, when I when I applied to med school, I didn't tell a lot of people because I knew that people were like, are you crazy? Like who goes from economics to medicine, right? But it was all, it makes sense to me. I believe in it. So I want to do it. And now those same people are like, oh my God, how did you do that? Like, tell us how you did it, right? So so you got to believe in it, number one. You have to be your own cheerleader. Uh, number two, find the right support system. And the right support system may not be your family, may not be your so-called friends uh, at that time. They may be completely new, strange people. And I found support systems when I went, uh, when I left my marriage and moved to campus housing at UT. And uh, the friends who showed up at my door with ice cream when I was having a hard day or my uh, professors who would say something kind and encouraging to me, right? And I needed it. So that's number two. And number three is courage. And courage is not the absence of fear. I hate the word fearless. I think it's, it's, it's totally false because there's no such thing as fearless. As human beings, we are, all, we are afraid. It's, it's a very natural part of our human emotion spectrum. So courage is not the absence of fear. It's not about being fearless at all. In, on the contrary, it's like, yes, I'm afraid. I'm terrified. But I really believe in this. I really think I should do this, so I'm going to do it anyway. It's acceptance of the fear and taking action, taking inspired, courageous action. Because you'll never have all your ducks in a row. You will never have a crystal ball that will tell you what lies at the other end. And if somebody tells you they they know that, they're lying. So you'll never know. You but I mean, do your planning, do your research, right? But in the end, you have to trust yourself enough that no matter what happens, you'll figure it out. And you have to jump and you have to take action. Because you can sit there, you can cultivate the best support system, you can give yourself as many pep talks as you want in the mirror. But if unless and until you take action, nothing will change. So take that action, take a tiny step, even a tiny, tiny step of action can do wonders. Because if you look at a graph and you have a tiny inflection point, and then you look at the trajectory of that line, it'll end up completely different than where it would have ended up, you know, somewhere else, let's say 10 years down the road. So the fact, my first inspired action was to order that very, very first course through the Independent Learning Center when I was not allowed to go to high school. I never knew that that would lead to me sitting here today, but it was then a series of inspired actions. So you t- you do one you do one thing, and the next one becomes a little bit easier than the next one. It's kind of like going to the gym. You lift you know five pounds, and then the next next month you're going to be lifting ten and fifteen and twenty five, and then eventually that becomes your lifestyle. You know that 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 courageous spirit in you becomes your second nature. So you know motivate yourself, find the right support system and take inspired action. That's my, that's my recipe for cultivating resilience. <laughs> well, that, that, this wonderful recipe. And frankly, I can listen to you 
for hours. Um, I am so happy for you and for our listeners, for everyone that you took that first step so many years ago. And I just want to congratulate you on where you are and where you're going. And thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll stay in touch and talk to you again soon. If you enjoy this episode and you want to support our show, leave us a review and join our mailing list by visiting www.spider.works. That's S-P-Y-D-E-R.works and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment with who we should interview next. Thank you for listening and see you all next Friday.